Hey everyone, happy to have you here for another episode of Legacy Matters. Today, as usual, we will talk about whatever comes up with a slight leaning toward discussions of preserving your legacy, preparing for things to come, and sharing stories we find amusing. You feeling ready, Jim? I'm ready. All right. Let's do this. Okay. Let's do it. All right. Yep. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> welcome to Legacy Matters. Thanks for tuning in. Yep. Another another episode. Uh, uh, Sam and Jim today. Sarah is out. Still on vacation. In wine country. In wine country. Yep. <laughs> which, so which is <laughs> which is anywhere because is it's anywhere always is wine, wine country. country for Sarah. <laughs> oh, that's so mean. Oh, so true. Though. We crack ourselves up. I guess yeah, so. we think we're funny. Yeah. Uh, what else you got? All right, so it is still December. It is middle of December, kind of. Did you intend to put the extra R's at the end of December like people do here in Minnesota? Yeah, because it's cold. (laughs) December. Um, What a kitschy trick. uh, Yeah, I know. Anyways, uh, another gloomy day today. Gray, (laughs) a little snowy, cold. It was kind of pretty in the snow this morning, though. It was for like 15 minutes. Yeah, it and gets then, old uh, fast. That's all bullshit driving. <laughs> Just ridiculous, you know? Yep, yeah, it does slow things easy. down. Yep, everything slows down, but then you always have some jackass that just doesn't know it's snowing. He's just oh, flying, that guy. he or she or whatever. You yeah, know, somebody's in just, the Escalade, of course. In the Escalade or the Honda Civic. Oh, yeah, yep. you're right. It's the it's Honda a light little Civic drive. or the Honda Accord. Honda yeah. Accord. Uh, <laughs> I've got a few cars that I think like, oh, yeah, look out Here for comes Jackass and yep. <laughs> Mr. Yep. Hot Rod. He's yep. coming Mr. up behind Hon- me. Hot Rod, the yep. Honda Accord. And... Yep. Uh, I can't remember. Oh, there's a, what is it? The Chevy Malibu. That's oh. the other one. Look out. Speed racer. Look out because they're <laughs> they're coming full steam. <laughs> oh, shit. All right. So for, All right. Those, for those listeners who haven't left us yet. Yeah. Uh, or some of them that have or, those cars, you know, you're not all hot rods, but. You know. uh, you're not all bad people, but you might be. Yeah. Too. We don't know. Also we we don't know who's listening. Right. So maybe it's maybe that's almost exclusively our listenership is jackasses in hot rod cars. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> you Driving guys are the best. Fast. We love you. Yeah. Keep listening. <laughs> yeah. We know it's not people in Crystal or St. Paul. No. Because we no. give them way too much of a hard yeah. time. All right. Uh, but thank you for listening. Thank uh, you for listening. Thanks listen, for tuning in. Doing things like this is like uh, standing at the edge of a canyon shouting into a void. I mean, we have no idea. We know we have a lot of listeners. Well, we do have and we know a few. Yeah, we know it's growing. But uh, because we very, we don't, because not every one of the listeners, so we know we have tens of thousands. That could be 10,000 or 25,000. We're not sure. But anyway, um, and growing rapidly, uh, but because every one of you doesn't reach out to us and say, hey, great hey. job, we feel like, I don't know, is anyone listening? It's kind of hard to know. So mm-hmm. if you if you get a chance, go ahead and let us know. You can you can email us. How about we do this? You can you know that you can say something on any of the, the different things. Streaming things. Yeah, whatever they are, podcast apps yeah. or whatever. But if you want to, how about you send us an email, even an angry one, Honda driver, uh, at info. I don't like those. <laughs> we have gotten a few of those. Info at legacymatterspodcast.com. 
Yeah. Good enough. Let's introduce our guest. All right. All right. We've got Steve Purdom in here today, and uh, I'm really excited about this because... Hi, Steve. Hi, guys. Yeah, hello, Steve. Uh, Steve is a director of the oldest camp, I believe, right? The oldest camp in Minnesota in the same name. We have another camp passes beat by a year, but they originally started at a different name, so we, we tend to point that out to them most of the time. Oh, I love those so. those okay. little rivalries. So 1910, yeah. Yeah. Nineteen ten. You know what? There was there was probably still a lot of forest back then. So I don't know anything about camp. You know, so this well, is Well you're really... gonna learn today. So Steve, Camp Mishawaka up in Grand Rapids. Yeah. Uh so you know, for for listeners, they know that I was at Camp Chippewa on Cass Lake. Uh yep. I talk about it all the time on here. Um you do. I was, you know. I, <laughs> I mean, I mean, everybody knows you love camp. <laughs> it's true. I was there almost 20 years as a counselor and assistant director. And I had the privilege uh, one year of taking our counselors in training, our CITs, out uh, on a tour of camps. And one of them that I visited was Mishawaka. And that's when I got to know Steve a little bit. And... Uh, and now you're in here, and I yeah. think that's great because you are a you are a, an advocate for the power and the and the awesomeness of sending kids to camp. Oh, thanks. It's uh, you know you know camp people and and don't get them started, Jim, as you know. I, uh, I, yeah, I know. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's well, cult, it, it it's actually like <laughs> honestly, I mean, it kind of makes me think like, I, well, I missed out. I think I did because everything that I've learned about camp is is actually pretty interesting and, and cool. Yeah, I mean, there's a big culture. It is. You know, and a camaraderie and... Culture, that's, you that's know. where cult comes from, I believe. That's okay. why we're... <laughs> I tend to avoid that cult word, you know, for all that. But <laughs> right. uh, it's a, yeah, a community and a culture, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and I think it's friendship. Well, I see it with Sam. I mean, that you've cultivated yeah <laughs> cultivated <laughs> friendships that seem to last yeah you know? and it's through through camp that's true and 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 other people too that i've met yeah no yeah it's well, a for, me, formative time in your life and it's a it's an a shared experience like that at a pivotal point is yep. something that just sticks with you so here's my question like right off the bat here is okay so 1910 this camp is formed yeah. right um, how, how do people know about a camp in 1910, and how do they get to the camp? Are they like yeah. on a covered horse wagon, yeah, no. horse and wagon? I mean, are, you know, like solid questions. Well, yeah, because no, I'm thinking like, okay, so you're way up there in Grand Rapids, yeah. right? Is that by Turtle Lake? Not too far. Yeah, too yep. Far. So yeah. Uh, my in-laws had a cabin on Turtle Lake. Yeah. But what I want to know is like the city folks here in Minneapolis and St. Paul, how do they know like and what it, were people sending kids in 1910 on a, it's a three hour drive. Yeah. So that must have been like, what, a 15 hour horse ride? So, yeah, you know, as every camp has its lore and the song, you know, the founder's song is that he came with 12 and set up camp. Um, so the founder, this George F. Doc Green, was the athletic director at St. Albans School in Washington, D.C., he originally had roots in Racine, Wisconsin, so he had Midwestern roots, and he'd worked in a camp in Wisconsin for a couple of years, and he says, you know, this place sucks. I can do it better myself. <laughs> and so these first campers were students of his from St. Albans in Washington, D.C., so 
Which uh, even puts more distance in my mind. Yeah, now so, I'm like, what? So they took a train from Washington, D.C. to Minneapolis, and at that time, as I understood, connected to Duluth, and then they had to arrange transportation from Duluth. And we have pictures of the guys coming in the 20s and 30s getting picked up in Duluth in like what they call a deuce and a half, you know, an open air, open air uh, troop transport truck, you know. Yeah, they just okay. throw the kids in the back like, you know. Think like luggage, but, yeah, like, yeah, you know, stripes. Stripes. Right. This is this is yeah. also going to be a favorite part for me. Is yeah. that uh, we we love to talk about things that happened in the eighties and nineties. You know, seventies, eighties, nineties, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, you yeah, just if you have reference seen stripes, stripes. Go go rent. It. Not a well, single well, young already... person has any idea what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah you <laughs> I love it. Of course, they're not driving a horse. They're on a train. Yeah, but I bet in nineteen ten they're they're might have been car. There was cars, I think. Was there? They had. Uh, no. they, there's old pictures of them with. Um, yeah. So yeah, you're right. In 1910, they weren't taking the the trucks from Duluth. So, no. um, yeah, they. Uh, probably at that time they had train service into Grand Rapids, as I think about, it, because Grand Rapids is a logging community oh, yeah. and is built on that. Yep. You know. Oh, that's probably true. Um, but the camp had a, a mule with a wagon, and you know, they'd go to town and get the mail. Yeah, that sort of thing. Nineteen ten. I mean, there were there were cars, but there were not a lot of cars and not a lot of roads to right. connect those cars. Oh. That, so so, okay. So this guy says, "I'm going to set up a camp, <laughs> and I'm going to take so a he's train a, with the kids." A little bit of an adventurous spirit, I would imagine. Yeah, and I often think, like, what is what? What's the equal today? Like, if I went into parents' living room, say, like, "Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take your you know children to, you know." Where Antarctica, Yukon the, or you know the Yukon or the you know yeah. the deepest Amazon, <laughs> yeah. and and make the equivalent journey physically, right. you you wouldn't have any takers. You may, but like you know, it'd be a very right. select few. I want to yeah. find those people. Yeah, that that would be great. You know, wouldn't that be fun? And, and I don't know what those people are doing now. They probably are going to the Amazon and the Yukon, and they probably are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I am. I, I do think it's interesting that that this gentleman has this vision and he's going to do this and then somehow he's going to also monetize it possibly or maybe not i don't know what the beginning of a camp looks like yeah. is it tense is that it is was that, tense yeah yeah is that like a real modern thing i i i just wonder because we've been starting our business here for a couple of years you know and yeah, and maybe the, you don't think about money. Well, the number one question we get asked when we talk to people with... Look how who, affected I've become. You, you're totally affected. <laughs> I know. The number one question is, how are you going to monetize that? Yeah. And I wonder if in 1910, that wasn't even in the lexicon. Like It, it probably wasn't, yeah. I mean, you know. You know it, uh, I mean, in 1910, if you got a dime, that was bucks. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Fine. Yeah, but I mean, they... They certainly, it's not like they didn't have business principles or something. They understood that money was to be made. But I wonder if if that venture wasn't less conceived as a, a means to well, make money and more as just like, well, we're just going to do this. Yeah, it was a, they did buy the land. And it, it started out, and, and I can't remember off the top of my head, you know, in $1910 what it paid, but it was very, you know, reasonable. and. You know, it was one of those things I think he'd visited a couple of times and got to know the landowner and, like, explained his vision. And it, um, yeah, we could do that, you know, he said. So that just kind of, sometimes I wish he'd gone a little further because now as urban sprawl has affected us, mm-hmm. you know, and it's both, we had a, the guy that comes out and teaches our first aid training from the local ambulance service stopped one day and he said, Steve, I just reminded again what a beautiful 
wilderness setting you have here, but your response time is faster than the Mall of America. <laughs> right. And I said I didn't know whether to feel, you know, assured and delighted or repulsed because, right. you know, we're trying to run a, a, a wilderness camp. You know, That's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah. And so um, yeah, it, it still has that illusion or that feel or that... It's interesting because the the woman that's kind of written the definitive history of um, summer camps called it a manufactured wilderness. That's the title of the book. Hmm. And a around, summer camp is a manufactured wilderness? Yeah, yeah because around the turn of the century, people were fearing that young men in particular, and you know, it's about the time the Boy Scouts started and the Girl Scouts, that children were becoming too soft. You know, the frontier had closed. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. we don't have any more frontier in America. We have to create one. We have to manufacture a wilderness where kids can learn these important lessons and what one of my predecessors called controlled hardships. Right. Sure. You know, Do you uh, know how much harder a kid was in 1910 than my children are today and i'm gonna throw my kids under the bus here but like even (laughs) even me you know like still in 1910 probably at 12 14 years old you were kind of the head of the house a household maybe you had i mean you had definite responsibilities and chores that your were you know your life depended on oh yeah and i don't want to romanticize it by milking the cow or getting the chickens you know but but they were milking the cows and getting the chickens they were i mean i was doing it in the the 80s you know of course they were doing it and yeah. yeah, so they were getting, so kids were getting too soft by by uh, Civil War standards in 1910. Yeah, yeah. you know this is pre wow. this is pre World War One even like that that wasn't a soft period. And part of the literature suggests that you know the the and again it's easy to write in hindsight that the the prescient ones saw like there's a there's a world conflict coming and we need to prepare this next generation for these hardships. And, you wow. know, they, they, it's why so, lots of times I'll come into a family's home that's thinking about camp and talk about, you know, camp was founded in 1910 because parents or the directors felt that kids were getting too soft. And parents, too, with all the modern technologies like gas lighting and indoor plumbing. <laughs> so that plays right into what we, you know, what we're, what we're selling now is this disconnected, you know, this giving, yeah. you know, giving kids, you know, two, totally. four, six, eight weeks away from their digital life and yeah. providing a a human life or a you know connected life in person yep Um, yeah which you know amen i'm all i'm all over that i i think that's i miss my time at chippewa which has a similar origin story you know tulsa oklahoma teacher Mm -hmm. brings some students up buys a piece of land on the cheap he had actually worked at another camp for a couple of years decided they weren't doing it right yeah you know bought a piece of land and then and then built the wilderness oasis to get the kids out of the heat of Tulsa. So a lot of them come to avoid hot summers in warmer places. And then, uh, and then also to get them out in the wilderness so they wouldn't be so soft. Yeah. And now I'm sure this is true at your camp. uh, It's let's see. I'll, I'll say that like it wouldn't even be possible to think of having the kids come up to your camp and help you build the camp, which is what they did in yeah. 1910, yeah, 1935. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, so, so those every, first campers yeah. weren't campers. They were just in, uh, yeah. indentured servants. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It was a trade. I'm sure they probably yeah. didn't pay tuition that first year, and this guy had a relationship with these families, and he, he said, I'll take these 12, rap, 12 strapping young men up to the, you know, and, and they'll come back even more manly and more strapping, you know, right. and we'll build this camp, so. Yeah, and that's that's what they happened. Don't need the gaslight or 
any, <laughs> any yeah. bowl for their water even. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't I want mean, them to be I'm, such sissies. I'm just so. trying to picture the whole scene. But but what is so what's also interesting to me is okay, so how do you get now now that it's built and maybe five years, ten years, twenty years, you know, how do you maintain that and and uh, you know that's I mean this has been around for a long time. This is, am I correct? This is the well, you, the, yeah. the second yeah. oldest second. camp in the state of yeah. Minnesota. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Yeah. How many of the buildings are original? Just one, and um, the I, the first uh, physical structure probably didn't come along until 1917, and that's gone. So, and then oh, we they had, were in like like tents, army tents. Everything was tents, yeah. yeah. And they had an old little mess hall. That the first physical building it was built i think it was 1917 and that's where they had a you know the which was a lodge kitchen dining hall everything like yeah. and, and you look at it in pictures now it looks like you know your old logging cab you know it just right. looks like a, right so i think that the nice thing too about how do you keep it going was because this the founder doc green was in dc and then he had connections in the midwest some of those first campers came from tulsa some of them came yeah. from D.C., some of them came from Racine, Wisconsin, the Chicago area. So this broad broad ge- geography or geographic base was really what helped it, too. And then, um, you know, it was cousins and brothers. And, yeah. You know. well, That's amazing. It is amazing. And, there's, and the great thing about camps is they are still amazing. And they've gone through... I don't. I know they went through a tough period in the like late seventies, early eighties. Was kind of the original rise of the specialty camp. Is that what? Yeah, yeah. And I'm and sure the economy. You know, I mean, yeah. And I'm sure there was probably other periods of fluctuation in there. So there were a lot of camps that died out together at, at different points in history, mm-hmm. and then the ones that have survived are, you know, I I would say most of them sort of thriving now. From, yeah, from what I know. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a you know, it's a growth-minded industry. I mean, people are, um, and it's evolving. I mean, and I don't what 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 sometimes get called camp now. You and I might not recognize. Right, right. And this so, is a very traditional is, and they, style. And so they've tried to you know broaden the tent. You know, when uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. You know, so right. if we can get people to think about camp, but some of the purists in the camping industry think that oh. You know, when you go to a dorm and you play soccer in the morning and then you eat lunch in a dorm and you're left alone, you come back and you play soccer in the afternoon, it's not really a camp. Right. I mean, even though they call it a soccer camp, um, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's a it's, soccer retreat or a, um, I don't know. It it definitely takes away, and I mean, it's not that they shouldn't both exist, but by definition camp like the camps that we're talking about um wilderness camps are an overnight camps are more more about building empathy and building you know kind of understanding of of themselves and life and and then to say like soccer camp is skills building and that's not it's just not the same thing you know I'm I'm on the purist side yeah, on that one. No, and like I say, taking nothing away <laughs> from those programs because there's a need and a place for them. And if you can, you know, feed that desire of a kid to you know hone those skills and absolutely, and it helps them, you know, in, in life and be a better person. More power to them. But yep, but you should send them to both. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, that, it mean, doesn't have to be an either or. No, yeah. it and shouldn't be. And and I don't think you should. Uh, you know, you shouldn't get away with feeling like you've sent your kid to summer camp if you've sent them to a soccer camp. 
but you shouldn't feel like you're sending a, you know, like if you really want them to learn soccer, they're not going to learn that at most summer camps, even though we play soccer, yeah. but it's not like a skill, a total skills camp around soccer. You know, one of the things that we see now is kids that have been selected out. And I don't know, you have young kids and this, you know, get calls from parents like, Oh, um, you know, he made the select travel team. And so they've stratified youth sports to a level that, you know, at, maybe at nine or 10, a kid's been told that he's no good at baseball. I know. Well, hell, he hasn't even developed all of his physical skills. My son started playing peewee hockey when he was six, and one of the parents came over to me. And he's like, how old's your son? Six. He's like, kind of a late start, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and, and right then I knew that we were, I was never going to have a relationship with organized youth hockey. No, you know, that's, I mean, uh, uh, it was just wasn't going to work. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, what happened to, you know, you look back, like, there's a lot of people who didn't develop their skills, like a lot of people who used to, anyway, get into professional sports having, you know, they, they get drafted by a football team, but they were a basketball player in high school right. and yeah, college, yeah. you know, like, it's... It seems unnecessary to to say to your six year old like, so you're going to be just this for the rest yeah. of your. This is the sport you know, you're your pigeons hold from six. Yeah, I don't like that. Steve, how did you did you how did you get into camp? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, um, I grew up in Central Illinois. You know, and mm-hmm. in the summer there's you know, corn and more corn, and um, not a whole lot of opportunity. It was a great town to grow up in, whatnot. Really good friends and really strong family, but. What My, town? Uh, Macomb is the name of it, Western Illinois University. I feel like we had someone yeah. in. Oh, the, really? Yeah. No roads, no rivers, no rails. They call it Forgotonia, you know. <laughs> and, and it's uh, it's a great place, you know, and, and, and um, I I would, and if I could have designed the perfect, you know, place to grow up, and, and, and it would have been it. But part of it was... Um, my dad's partner, business partner, had gone to Mishawaka in the 40s, and then his son had gone in the 70s and I was the youngest child by five years and I probably pretty ornery and my parents said like you'd probably be good to get out of here you know <laughs> go to uh, you should yeah, be someone yeah, else why don't you say. go get some controlled hardship right. <laughs> get some controlled right. hardship we, this kid needs some hardship you know <laughs> yeah. yeah so um yeah and and people always ask me like you know why'd you come back after that first year and I didn't have an answer for a long time because it wasn't easy, you know. I mean, I had some hardships. Um, you know, like uh, back in that day, you know, and, and again, I... How old were you? Oh, nine. Okay. Yeah. You know, and I, it's a... What it's era? true. Uh, 1974. 74. Okay. So one time, brother, and 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 I, I hesitate to say that I probably deserved it because nobody deserves this. But you know, I got hung on a nail by my underwear. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. and, and it was back in that era of camp. Right. Probably that you know, and it's like, it's so, probably a little bit. So yeah, people ask me, I was like, is camp? What's different between 1974 and camp today? I was like, well, kids don't get hung on a nail by their underwear. <laughs> right. And it's probably a little bit difficult because I I attended Chippewa in eighty. 81 and 82 uh my father worked out there okay um and so i was six and seven years old and there was a lot of hazing going on at that time i didn't i wasn't subject to it because i was too young sure um but there was still a lot of it going on and it's kind of one of those things that as an adult and and when i was assistant director uh i dealt with with full-grown adults who had attended camp as kids in the 70s, especially seems like when hazing was at its 
its height, yeah. uh, who would tear up and, and who mm. would say, you know, I, I really want my kid to go here, but I got to tell you, if these things that happened to me yeah. happened to him, yeah. we're out, you know? And it was powerful stuff because, it, you know, that hazing, it just, it's not good. No. Well, what do you think motivated that in the, and it's, you know, like sidetrack here, but like, because it is destructive, it was, I mean, and then like, people just look at me like, that happened and you came back? I'm like, yeah. Well, you that's know, what I'm thinking too. Yeah, like, like why and anybody like, in the right? Why, you know, did I was I just a glutton for? Yep. Sure, thank you, sir. May I have another? You know, like right. uh, I, I don't know. But you, but the, but that was one thing. But you must have had. I, well, obviously you did. There was there was a whole world of other things that happened that were probably you know that did bring you back. I mean, those were the. And, that's and, what brought you back. And that's that's you're right on it. And I don't know if that's the way you felt, Sam, because I felt like if I came back next year, there was always something else to do. I didn't get a chance to do that this year, but next year it'll be there for me. Yep. And I'll be a little stronger and I'll be a little better. And, and you know, um, there's another, you know, it was, you never felt like the sky was a limit. You know, you could, right. and the progression of trips that you'd take, I get to go on this trip. Uh, I get to sail that boat. I get to stand up in front of a crowd and be an authority, That's... you know, or a leader. I get to be this, um, you know, uh, leader of my little unit and, so, you know, it, uh, and the other thing was, you know, growing up in a small town, you kind of get pigeonholed and you could come to a camp and you'd be like, I, I can play soccer. I, I was not, you know, at yeah. home even back in 1974, you know, when youth soccer was just starting to get organized, I wasn't going to play soccer at right. home, but I'd go to camp and they'd be like, Hey, come on, let's play soccer. Hey, you know? And, uh, so it's, you know, it was, it is very egalitarian that way. Like there isn't. When they're not hanging you on a nail. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so so when I was there in 81, 82, I knew that was going on, you know, but this is my six and seven-year-old self. I knew it was going on, and it was a normal part of life, but it just never happened to me. Uh, and then I grew up with, with this sort of, you know, aversion to that type of behavior to the point where it just always pissed me off. Yeah. And so... When I got into high school, there was still that type of hazing, and we talk about our mm-hmm. our upbringings. You know, him and Crystal, and me and Elk River, and Elk River's kind of you know it's kind of a farm community. Yeah, and twenty years ago, certainly, right? It was yeah. then, yes, yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, it wasn't uncommon for fights. I mean, there were fights all the time. Dudes were, you know, this yeah, guy's fighting, fighting that guy today. Yeah. Yeah. Crystal, yeah, yeah. You know, amongst kids. I That's mean, right. Not all kids, but you know. When it happened, it happened. Yep. And I know I went back to camp, so my folks couldn't, we couldn't afford, they were getting a divorce. My dad got a job out there because we lived in Bemidji at the time. And uh, so after the, he was remarried and moved when I was eight. So I didn't go back to camp because we couldn't afford it. So I went out and got a job there. I I drove into camp when I was 19. Oh, wow. 20 so that it made that big of impact on you for all had. those years i thought about it every year wow every every summer i thought about my experience at talk camp. about longing huh that's, i know that's cool so i drove in and jp was there and and the i said the man with the deepest voice i know the booming voice of god <laughs> i'm trying Sam, to how you doing very good to see you <laughs> <laughs> well, come on and join us here this summer <laughs> you do cammy and i would like to have you on the staff john it's just so nice to see you. your your father was a just a gem of a man <laughs> Oh my God! You're killing no. me. Yeah, that's him. That's yeah. him. 
Uh, that's exactly what happened. I drove in. They were they were out doing their fishathon actually, and I walked down to the lake and. JP saw me and told me to wait a little bit. They'd be in. And he came in and now, who are you? And I said, well, I'm Sam Teeson. My dad was, you know, Ron Teeson. Oh, Sam, how are you? You know, yeah. just exactly with the voice you had. I can't do it right now. I used to do a good JP when I was <laughs> so, <laughs> I camp. But. So I'm going to go back here. So Steve, so not only do you go back to camp, you want to go back, but now you're, but how did you transition into working, you know, doing where you, where you are right now well i mean if you stay at some place long enough you just you know i you I, just you just never leave <laughs> i was eight years as a camper and then um started on staff and eight years as a counselor and kind of designed my life around camp i taught school <laughs> for a couple years just so i could come back and and do that yeah and in um gosh the summer of 1990 the camp it, it had some hard times and it looked like it was probably going to close yeah uh they had uh, had some uh turnover and three families in an ownership and weren't really getting along or communicating well and they'd taken on some additional debt and so it was weeks from foreclosure and one of my former counselors who's an attorney in grand rapids and so he had the money and i had the time and, and so um uh, they put together a deal that allowed me to come in as the new manager. And for two years, and this was interesting, for two years I, I wasn't the owner. I was hired as the manager of the camp, the executive director, supervising kids who were my counselors when I was like 11 years old. Sure. So I learned a lot. And, yeah. And I, I deliberately, you know, like I wasn't going to go in and just, you know. I'm the boss. Yeah, because oh. I would, you know. And I learned How a lot How old were you? There. I was 26. Okay. And I like to say, or I don't like to say necessarily. If I were 36, I would have known better. <laughs> but it, it, if I were 36, it wouldn't have happened. You know, I mean, I was 26, and right. I, hung, I hung up the phone and did a little dance, and, you know, yep. oh, my God, this just fell in my lap, sort of. Right. And, uh, um, yeah, I totally understand that, because, like, for 15 years plus, I, you know, I told everybody, my wife included, uh Remember, I'm going to camp again this summer. You know, like, oh, geez, you really like. Yeah. I was. And, and how long is that for? Like, ten when you weeks. Say the summer, ten weeks. Ten weeks as a staff, yeah. Remember, yep. okay. and then the last, you know, the last five years, uh, I was paid through the the you year. Were organizing the trips throughout the year and permits. And yeah, I mean, I was assistant director, so I had a yeah. position. It was it was pretty loose because Chippewa is such a small organization, but. Um, it, it at least made a little more sense the last five years. But the first 13, 14 years on staff, I, you know, you're talking 1500 bucks or something. Yeah. You get paid for yeah. for wow. 10 weeks. That's it. Yeah. But that's how much it does get into some people's blood or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to say about the hazing part. I remember when I first started, I was 21 the first summer I was on staff. And that was 1996. And there was there was still some of that left over. There was a little bit still then. And uh, I remember a couple of the older guys who had been at camp as campers when I was there in the 80s, they were still doing that shit. And it it really pissed me off. And I was just old enough and just strong enough to tell them that, that, you know, if you ever fucking do this around me again, I'll I'll kill you. Like, I don't do I don't want to see a kid get hurt in that way ever. And I just remember that because I don't think it happens basically at all anymore. 
It's it's a different you know it's like you talk about you know the regular fights and you mm-hmm. know and you know I grew up in that era too you know the playground fights and it yep. was no big deal and one time in high school I got in a fight and the principal came out and said just take it across school grounds yeah you know? take it off the school <laughs> yeah, grounds that was yeah. that was that was his way of solving the problem. <laughs> Get and now the you know and get over across the street. <laughs> now when another camper lays his hand on another camper in anger, and it doesn't happen, you know, maybe once or twice a summer, it's a phone call and a con- and, and and it's good because you know it's not just this sub rosa sort of acceptance of hey this is this is what we don't do. Yeah, know, so. right. Uh, we don't uh, we don't get into politics, but I will say you know, and and I'm if you want to figure out where anger gets, yeah. You just look out to Washington right now. Like this is, you know, it's it's causing some real problems that there's some latent well, anger. Well, I'm not saying you I know. know actually, just, it happens just, on both sides. Is yeah. what pisses me off. Yeah. Like the, it's there's this fighting back and forth that never ends because it's all there. It's born in anger, and so like I feel like the the camp of today is it's not that they're softer. I think they're actually harder. I think it's harder to restrain that and harder to be, I think kids, teaching kids to understand their anger and to give them a different set of tools to use to resolve conflict is more difficult than just saying, punch the other guy in the face. Yeah, for you know? sure it is. Yeah. And I think in the, you know, in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, like no, no fault of, you know, I'm not saying that parents were bad, but I don't think dads really had the time. They were always the sole breadwinner. I don't think they had the time to sit down and explain to you the way I do to my yeah. kids, you know, give you a nice long lecture about why you shouldn't punch your brother. Exactly. They were just like, go across the street and punch <laughs> your brother. I don't give a shit. <laughs> you two work it out. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, I think it's you more two work. work it out. If I, I heard that a lot yep. growing up, you two just work it out or well, and sometimes this was to my plus was boys will be boys, you know. Yeah, that's also yeah. that doesn't happen, and, the, and that doesn't. You know, I mean, no, and uh-uh. we used to say that operating as a boys and girls camp, you know, like time for boys to be boys, and you know, we don't say that anymore. No, for, for, because right. of the implicate. I mean, but and we've we've struggled and struggled to try to talk about how that separate space, those traditions for each camp, is important without defaulting to this. Oh, it's just. You know, boys will be boys and girls will be girls. But right. really, it's just a way f- to provide them that opportunity. And, and it's funny, my son and one of our counselors put it, he's like, Dad, we're just learning how to have normal relationships with girls and be friends. And like, it's not about, you know, um, anything else, you know. I know. And, 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 you know, we come together and it's natural and normal. And yep. it's not about appearances or this one's better than that. Or I mean, it's not... You know, and, I don't want to deal in just cliche, <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, um, because we deal in cliche you know, and because it's struggle. Like parents, you know, <laughs> yeah. say, is, and we talk about, you know, like, and you've hit on, you know, we camp can really teach resilience and, and I've never met a parent that doesn't want their child to be resilient, mm-hmm. but I meet lots of parents that don't want their child to have any hardship. Yeah. To be challenged or to bump up against anything. And, mm-hmm. you know, whether we call them snowplow parents or helicopter parents or, but the, and, I've not heard snowplow. So is this removing any obstacle? Yeah, from out neither have I. Actually, that, I was like, uh, yeah, that's a thing. I want an that's explanation yeah, for that thing. I just, you, did, you, know, you made it up. No, I now. didn't make it up. No, snowplow. He's messing with us. No, yeah, I'm just. It's actually more of a. It's a 
a better image. And, you know, as a parent of two young children or, you know, now college-age children, I, I get it. I get the urge. You know, we're bombarded oh, by threats for our children. Yeah, me too. And, and we want to make it better for them. But going back to a point you were talking about earlier, um, kids are incredibly resilient given the opportunity to be They're so. They're amazing. You know they they bounce and um, or they have and they're smart they're, they're way they're, smarter than we give them credit and for. they're so observant and they you know given the opportunity it's like you've had you know when you when a kid falls when your son falls and he looks up for you for reaction and you run over and if you're freaking out he starts bawling Absolutely. and this is like you know there's a psychology you know people totally. far smarter than I am have figured out this effect <laughs> but like when you run to a child that's falling and they look up at you waiting for your response. And yep. if you run to them, they will they will mirror that response. Oh, they're definitely cluing in on that. Yeah, no doubt. And if you you know, um, so I'm I'm ho- I really and Mary Jane Kern, our girls director, is amazing with working with these young women. You know, and so much you read about kids today in the digital world, and they're you know, fine. They're just, they really are. The that, kids are all right. It's you know? us. It's, it's the adults. It's, yeah, the kids are all right. They are. You know, I, I, and uh, they I, they have a lot. Um, just given, if they have the opportunity to practice their these tools, uh, I'm 100 percent with you. I I bag on the boomers all the time. My my folks are boomers, you know. And, okay, boomer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know the mess the messes that we see. I think you know it's it's right now it's their world. It's not the kids' world. So you look at the kids and you think. Oh my God! They're coming out as gay when they're ten years old or twelve years old, and and oh my God! They don't punch each other and they don't learn anymore. And they, oh, they're just such brats. They like no, you're missing the point here. These yeah. are nice kids. These are more emotionally stable kids. Yeah, they're they're able. They've got empathy now. Granted, there's some cyber bullying and stuff like that. that's always been the case. Yeah, the instances of that are far fewer than they ever have been. I would guess. I would think so, you know, and the interesting, you know, I just got back from a conference with, I saw Michael there and um, oh, yeah. Tina Faye Bryson, who does a lot yeah. of work with Chippewa and this brain science and, and um, that uh, the this Gen Z or even the children are so attuned to everyone else. They're, they are empathetic that, you know, they're aware of not only their own anxiety and, and mental, emotional, social health, they're really tuned into their peers. And they, they are. They are. They, they talk about it openly, and they're defensive of it. They're like, you know, she just needs some space. He just needs some space mm-hmm. about this. They, they they are bonded in a way that I, you know, th- hey, like, we're all in this together, you know. That and, didn't happen when we were kids. I mean, no. when we were young, people were weaponizing homosexuality. Like, stop being gay, and, you know, oh, that guy, that, that one, you know, he's gay. That was a weapon used against kids they didn't like or yeah. who were different than them. That's not happening so much at all anymore, My from daughter, what I can tell. And and uh, you say, I, I, to use the way, phrase that I'm woke would be, you know, oh, yeah. joke. <laughs> you know, I mean, that I'm, I'm work, I'm, you know, and, and so and, and as we listen to, you know, my daughter, every once in a while, I was like, Dad, you can't say that anymore. I'm like, <laughs> you know. Right. So I'm like, yeah, I, I get it. And now I, I get it, you know. Yep. And, and I get why. We talk about that, too. I know. We Just do. that understanding of, <clears throat> oh, shit, I, you know what, I carried that through. I never even knew what that meant. And I've been oh. saying it all my life, like some stupid thing you say. Right. Yeah. And now you got to give it up. Yeah. You know, because yeah. it does hurt someone. Yeah. I, you know. Yeah, well, we should uh, we should take a little break. All right. Okay. Break. Thanks. Time. A little break. Yep. 
Today's show is brought to you by the Andalin app, a first-of-its-kind digital legacy preservation app that allows you to digitally attach photos, videos, and audio recordings to the places and objects you love. Imagine hearing your grandmother's voice telling the stories of your family heirlooms. Preserve your memories, prepare for the future, and share with those you love. Andalin, available in the App Store and Google Play. Visit andalin.app for more information. Need some help with a construction project? Looking for thoughtful design and honest answers about what is possible and what is not? Kinetic Design Build is a full-service boutique modeler servicing residential and commercial clients in the Twin Cities. Design and build with purpose. Visit kineticdesignbuild.com to request a consultation. Packing for a trip? Let Pack Simply give you a little help by delivering travel-safe products directly to your door in an airport security-safe pouch. Unbelievably easy and surprisingly simple. Make your life easier. Visit PackSimply.com. Interested in art? James Holmberg is both an artist and an art consultant. His strong connections in the Minnesota art world give him a unique perspective on the talented pool of artists from our region. Let James guide you to an original work that will come alive in your home. Visit JamesHolmberg.com to find out more. All right. Do you want to go on a wilderness adventure with me, Sam? Or maybe you know a group of kids who could benefit from an extended break from their electronics. Or maybe you just need a break from those kids. Visit earthedfound.org for more information about how to get started. For information about becoming a sponsor of Legacy Matters, please visit LegacyMattersPodcast.com. Yeah, I mean, as I turn my, I'm back live. All right, here we are. You're back in, guys. Uh, so back with Steve Purdom. You know yep. that short break. Well, so I don't know where to begin, but because every time we take a break, we have these <laughs> great conversations. <laughs> oh, you know, you missed all the good stuff. Oh, I kind of did. Oh, you, know? you know, so we'll have to loop back and forth and back and forth. But we but, only you know, talked about a let, let, before we go into what we were just yep. talking about. Yep. You know, I had this question, sort of like. You know, right now, well, right now we live in this sort of culture where, you know, children are always given trophies, you know. Oh, you're rewarded. Good job. You know, everyone has yep. a trophy, yep. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that play into camp? Does everyone get a tro- trophy at camp? I know how yeah, it worked at mine. I want to hear what you do. award. You know, and, and, I, um, I mean, and I'm not saying that's bad. No. And, I am kind of because I'm laughing, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know shit. So. I think no. we both have thoughts on it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um and I'm not, you know, it's kind of come up and down and gone, you know, we've mm-hmm. we've been responsive to certain things. There's some awards in, in the camp environment that are like, oh, wow, you know, like the Skipper Larson Track Award, which is, you know, or the um, girls who has a firelighter, a girl who, you know, by the vote of her peers gets to light the final campfire and things like that. Right. But, um, you know, along the way you get your minnow, shark, and whale, the, you know, and they're Red Cross Swimming Awards. So they're tied to this progression, and and and, um, and again, going back to the the way that kids are resilient and observant is, you know, kids will 
kids will know when it's a fluff award. <laughs> they do. You're right. And, and, and you know, they don't like, oh, that's nice. And, you know, you hand out a paper certificate at the campfire and then you break up and then there's all these paper certificates around the campfire. Yep. Right. So, but if you hand them something of meaning, something that they've had to sacrifice for, they'll guard that with, you know, um, they'll, they'll, they, they covet they, it. They invest. If it, if it's a really representative of an investment they've made, you know, they'll take ownership and they'll take pride in it and they'll, they'll show their friends. And I know at, at Chippewa, uh, every kid did get an award. I mean, you can't have a, an end-of-camp award ceremony and then there's some kid who does not get an award. And it's funny because, like you say, they, they may very well know that it was a fluff award, but there are a lot of kids uh, who, whether they do or do not know it's a fluffy award – they still love it. Like they, mm-hmm. you can see it on their face. Like yeah. it's usually pre twelve or so. Once you once you turn eleven or twelve, you're cynical. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like now you know that this adults are full of shit. Yeah. And you know, yeah. Uh, but but that eight year old, that nine year old, if it doesn't matter what the award was, they just are like, oh my god, I got one. The recognition, right. yeah. yeah. And we do the same thing at the final camp. Everybody gets it, and it was one of the original not original founders but early directors that he would make these shields and feathers out of wood and you know we still continue that today and he made them at one time out of lead probably got sick from it, you know? <laughs> um, but yep. now it's you know so that's that's been a tradition since the late teens and still do it and um a lot of my peers or other camp i mean it's in, at, in, at great cost too you know so like if we're going to give this award you know it ends up it's it's a a piece of wood that's stained and cut and carved and these awards that are molded and painted and placed with and um i get pictures all the time of people that like got their whole generations of like look we still have the shields right. up oh and, and, and those are something. those are things that are actually made too yeah yeah so it's not like you just order it on amazon and i need 15 no. trophies no. i'm know? just waiting when we can uh 3d print them probably someday you know? <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if good or bad that's well you but there's a difference you know the the kids at chippewa yeah. the, they had um, kind of the highest award was the athabasca man and you got a paddle and yeah. anyone who's got that it's on their wall right. somewhere in their home prominently displayed and that's and it'll yeah. be there for their entire life like that's just the way it works yeah I, we have a confession to make there's a skipper of the year award and my close friend uh, and best best one of best friends in camp you know when i took this over he he was found himself available andre tyson and super talented super smart one of the smartest guys i know so he repainted this award and i didn't win it in 1981 but i, I see that he repainted he put my name on there replacing this guy's name that got he's like He's like, well, when you're the director, you can rewrite history. I'm like, no, we can't. We can't do this. This, this goes against everything that oh I want to do. You know, I so I was it. like, so I'm like, you know, I was like, no, I can't do that. You know, so mm-hmm. funny. <laughs> well, so we were talking briefly. I, we'll get into it, and I think I can give us an entree into it. Uh, some of the changes that I saw over the years with with the way we conducted camp. Uh, one of them that bothered me a lot was was not allowing kids unstructured time like it's sort of driven by the insurance industry is what i caught that uh you know statistically the the most likely time for a kid to get hurt is in a time when they're not in some sort of structured activity 
or for bad things to happen in cabins because you don't know the kids wandered off and you know some kids beating up another kid in a cabin or something like that so because of that that and i'm sure it's statistically true i don't know whether it was statistically important or not but it's true uh, but that fear, knowing that statistic and, and being pushed in that direction, that fear led to us uh, structuring every minute of every day for all of the kids. And I, I did not like that. That yeah. really got under my skin. And we're, we did a, you know, and we have to resist our temptation to take that unstructured free time play away. And, you know, I said not totally unstructured, but, you know, free choice and time for them to make a decision because... You know, the more you give kids agency, the more investment they have in the outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it's interesting. I'm corresponding with this guy in the East Coast. It's kind of like the one of the best-known camp trainers. And he's made, he like wrote, literally did a PhD on homesickness and, and things like that. And, you know, he was looking at our stuff and that we value structured activity and unstructured free play. And he said that's nothing short of radical. And like that's been our ethos all along, you know. So this, um, and and kids appreciate it once they mm-hmm. figure out. I mean, you mean I get to choose? I I can do this. Like what? Am, yeah. Like, I I can pick, you know. And like, okay, you know. Yeah. And it's almost like they have to learn how to do that again, because and and again, not to you know put on the rose colored glasses, but the they're not playing Sandlot baseball. You know, they're, no, they're, not, not. they're not they're not picking up and, you know, it starts from organized play dates from, you know, it's organized sports. So, hey, you 20 guys, let's we made up this game. We're going to stay back here. You guys regulate it. You're going to you know figure out what are the rules. You come up with the rules and this and that. And you, you know, because that also teaches like negotiation skills. <laughs> That's and it exactly teaches right. like a compromise. Like, oh, I want to I want to I want to have this be seven points, not six points. And yep. so like it's. You know, and they don't, kids don't get a lot of opportunity for that naturally anymore. So again, we had to create an opportunity for it to happen for them. Yeah, we used to, we used to go out and resolve all of our own conflicts. You know, by the, I can remember at, you know, like six years old, probably we were heading to the hill to go sledding or you'd play football in the, you know, behind the school or whatever. And there weren't any adults around. So you made up the rules and you, and if someone, there was always a, a hierarchy that came out. You know, the, you would you'd think if you don't structure the kids that something bad's going to happen. But in those cases, like when something bad happened, they the kids figured out how to govern the situation and how yeah. to fix the problem. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and 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 again, I'm always reluctant, and I don't want to say like these broad generalizations generalizations about today's parents because one, they're our clients. You yeah. Know? And, and, yeah. And there's a whole bunch of them that get it. You yeah. know, and yeah. there's a Absolutely. whole bunch of them that get it. But again, I just think back to my own experience, and when you talk about because we're the statistical statistical likelihood of something bad happening to a child it doesn't make any sense anymore when you're bombarded by you know if I if I come down to Minneapolis and I turn on the news, the lead's going to be about really bad things, and that just gets ingrained and it builds in you know, and so parents are constantly sure you know a little bit man shaking in front of microphone you know it's like uh, yeah what. what so you get my 12 year old describes it as sunshine and rainbows when you turn on the news it's always sunshine and rainbows <laughs> and now moving from the fire three alarm fire to a touching story about a man and yeah. his dog you know yeah so, yeah funny. it's uh that's it's, cute it's a tough world yeah he's a funny kid uh <laughs> real sarcastic 
But uh, you mentioned something that I, you know about. Uh, well, you go ahead. I, oh, I'm getting lost. No, uh, you say what, and, and I just talking about what where we're desc- how we're describing our program these days, or what you know yeah. what we really think we we do, and we've kind of settled on this idea of preserving childhood, and that, and again, hearkening back to Mary Jane, that you know if we all agree that childhood is a is a phase to be outgrown, it's important that we let children inhabit it at least for a while yeah you know and and childhood includes wonder and free play and making mistakes and creativity yeah and you know and and wrong thinking sometimes yeah that's okay yeah that's okay yeah it's okay yeah yeah and it's not going to affect the rest of your life that you can come back from it right and that you know sometimes we look to the children to behave like adults yet Oftentimes we tolerate childlike behavior from our adults, you know, and, and that contradiction is not lost on your average 12-year-old because they're, right. they're just sponges. Like they're always looking for models or examples or like that's what you talk oh, about. Oh, my kids get it. And, and, and it tied into that thing you were talking earlier, like with the awards, like up until 12 it works or something. And like from then on it's right. like, okay, what does this really mean? I'm questioning things here. What is this saying about me? Is this re- is it authentic? Is it? Yeah. How come he says do this and then he's doing that? You know. So it's um, this is this is uh, this is when we're at the restaurant and I've ordered a second beer and I and I disallow my children from having a second root beer and they're like, <laughs> you bastard! <laughs> you know, like, what makes you think you're so special? Uh, I always think about that. Like, I'm not modeling the best no. thing there, am I? My 12 year old son once asked me, How old did he have to be to have beer and caffeine? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> In Jim's world, it was 14. Well, yeah. In my well, world. That's another yeah. podcast, probably. <laughs> it, yeah. Is. Yeah, it is. That's yeah. Another, yeah. Well, I had to go up north for it. Well, not really. Actually, it was Crystal. So, yeah. Crystal no, I, I do think it's important because my kids follow the news and my kids watch what's going on. And, you know, if you're the little bit I've been able to listen to the hearings, uh, the impeachment hearings right now, uh, there's a lot of not adult behavior going on in in just sort of the the discourse between sides there. Like, why don't you? It wouldn't be held up as an example of maturity, would it? You would, no, you wouldn't you? You know, it's embarrassing actually. Uh, yeah, and, and it um, it just. Um, it's, yeah, it doesn't it's, seem adult-like. No, not at all, does it? Right. I mean, that's no, you know, I, I just not had anything reasoned and measured about yeah. it, and maybe that's where we're at. I mean, regardless like of see, how you feel about, you know, it, we can all agree that it's it's not it's so not very mature. I just like to see an adult. Like what, what you know? Like I had this conversation with a good friend of mine the other <laughs> day, and we were like, hmm. And I'm not going to name names, but some people just sort of, you know, like. Wow, they're just an adult. Like they know how to manage the, their yeah. adult life. And uh, the person I was talking to is like, you know, fifty years old, and that person's still like, I don't know if I'm really managing my adult life very well. <laughs> you know, so uh, there is so a, it's a that's been a question in my own mind at times. Yeah. Like, am I? Yeah. You know, because I'm into so many different things, and I'm trying to, and I right. feel like I'm doing adult things, but then in the background, there's this other voice that constantly is badgering right. me about what a yeah. dick I am and how I don't yeah. do anything right, you know? And it's like, you really think you're an adult? Do you, when do you you're really a kid, think you're... When you're a kid, you're looking at adults and you think like, wow, so that's an adult. And they all got 
you know, all this shit together and everything's good. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, if you ask that wait, person, they'd be like, I can't like, wait to become know, an adult. Yeah. Like everything's going to be great. I won't have to go to school. I won't have yeah. to listen to anyone. Yeah. That did not, that's not true. No. <laughs> yeah. So you're right. Like what is that phase of childhood that they move out of, you know? And right. if we, you know, we all see adults that have lost that childlike sense of wonder. Here you are well, that's at a certain thing, age right? reinventing yourself yeah. and picking up, you know, and just open to new possibilities. And right. um, so there's, you know, that enduring sense of wonder is that I've got beneficial. It. Yeah. Yeah. I call it but attention it, deficit disorder for yeah, myself. Right. <laughs> well, there's all kinds of things. So you, you so, run into adults where time has also stopped still. Like I can see wow, that guy turned into adult in 1984, and yeah. nothing has changed <laughs> yeah, since then. Our old maintenance guy, he, he was a classic and just a tragic figure, too, battled a lot of demons, but he had an old classic 1981 glass-drawn boat. Oh, you yeah. Know, and uh, 115 horse, the green sparkly thing, and so when <laughs> he died, cool. we got it, and it's like, it's yeah. my boat now. Yeah. So his nickname, my, his other friend called him Davy Boy 78 because that was the year they graduated high school. So I named, because he said he was stuck in 1978. Yep. So that's the name of the boat, the DB-78. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's great. It, it's a, and it's just kind of like my tribute. And so, you know, it's just like a, one of those, a, a, a token or a, like we were talking earlier about the things we keep and the things we put value on. Mm-hmm. You know, it brings me joy and mm-hmm. it still works. And every time I see it and drive it, it's just like, hey, this is, this is a lot of fun. You know, it's that yeah. connection to the past. Yep. Yeah, it's, that's, more important than we maybe give it credit for. And, and I sort of anthropomorphize objects and, and homes and, you know. What was that word you just said? Anthropomorphize. <laughs> I just want to make sure the listeners caught that. We'll pause here for Googling anybody. <laughs> we'll go to my, Wikipedia real quick. My kids. Well, here, this is, this is what you do. Are you, are you ready for it? Yeah. Uh, okay, Google, give me the definition of anthropomorphize. Wow. Attribute human characteristics or behavior to a god, animal, or object. <laughs> so, oh. so to give human characteristics. I can just attest that, that was, that's, he just did that live. If, yeah, if I mean, that was, that was that impressive. That was really yeah, that that was was, seamless. That was like yeah. you know, Wyatt Earp drawing the six. It kind of seems like Matt Google Dillon. or whatever that phone is. It's is not it, an Apple, I know. Whatever no, the other brand Google, is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's an Android it's phone. Like you get paid or something, and I don't. Like, <laughs> like are you getting paid? Oh, oh. I'm sorry. Sponsored. Oh, yeah, funny. like you're sponsored, but I'm He's not because that whole scene is a little yeah. suspect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the reason that was so easy for me is because uh, I do like words, you know, and I've, yeah. and I've got my 12 year old, my 10 year old, and I'll be driving along and I'll say, I'll say something like that. I'll use a word that they haven't heard yet. And they're like, that's not a real word, Dad. You're full of it. And I'll say, okay, Google, tell me. Oh, God, it's going to start up on me. <laughs> Get off of there. Uh, yeah, so that's where that came from. No, I, I ascribe human or emotional characteristics to places and objects and things and homes. So, like, yeah. if, I, if I walk into someone's house to do remodeling, I'm picking up on their their anxious energy about how much is this going to cost and are you going to be able to do this right? And I sort of am like, shut up for a minute while I listen to the house because I'm trying to figure out does the house, is it 
worth saving? Does it need, you know, what does it want almost? Yeah. And that's sort of the way I think of it. That's interesting. And I think of, so your boat, you know, I think I would think of objects like that as there, there's a, an energy that sticks with the object through the, the past memories and the things that have happened with it. Yeah. Cause it's someday, you know, and my wife reminds me that the transom and the floor are going to tell me that I've had enough. Yeah. You know, and that's right. And, and when that happens, you know, I'm okay to let it go. You know, yeah. I mean, um, so yeah, but it's not, it's not just an inanimate object. No, that has it's a, no, it's a, it's a character. Yeah. It's, it's a character in yeah, your life. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yep. I have a, I have an old red truck. That's a character in my life. And it's, it's telling me, God, I don't have much longer, man. Like yeah. I, it's it's almost over for yeah. me. I, I enjoy letting those things go now. Although I do have a garage full of shit. Yeah. So I guess I don't know what I'm talking about. It's my about. theory but that we live, we live well, to the extent of our space means like if you right. have the space, you'll fill it. Right. Oh, and, and I think specifically is I had a red truck too, Ford F-150, that Ooh. I finally let go. I never a- saw you with a... You you didn't see well. It was there. It was there when we first really? met fifteen years wow. ago. It was there. <laughs> you just Always don't present. remember it. Fifteen well, years with you know Jimmy. what though? It looked better, and then and then over the course it fell apart. Yeah, yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. That's there's that's big chunks happens. of my truck fall off every time I drive. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Talking about uh, you know I, I drove down from Grand Rapids today, and you're talking about the typical. Oh yeah, and I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I hadn't been introduced yet, and I didn't want to like, I had to hit my mic kill switch because I was just <laughs> laughing out loud. I was like, "Did you have a camera in my car?" Because the Escalades, the and oh the, yeah, the Honda Accords, and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just because they're low to the ground, they feel like they have good traction, but right, they're, they're just like you know, there's something about something it. about it, and they're yeah. great cars, they're fantastic, and, and then they you actually get, then do you got well range, in the snow. Then you got Range Rover man who's like in a class by himself, <laughs> you know, just like Range and again, Rover. sorry, apologies, this right. like, you know, because I, I, I could, I can only imagine it's a sublime driving experience, but <laughs> right when when you come up on somebody's rear end going 75 miles an hour in an ice storm, you got to know that it, <laughs> not everyone can Even do what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm clenching, yeah, 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 yeah. And, it, and and people don't understand that four wheel drive doesn't help you stop. No, not at all. Yeah, and, and not well, everybody it, understands that. <laughs> in the neighborhood that we were, we were just talking about Linden Hills. I call that Smurf Village because it's a little <laughs> bubble, you know. <laughs> and uh, pop the Smurf. Yeah, exactly. Go, and, and usually the it is an idyllic little place, around yeah. there are just going to grocery shopping or yeah. you know getting a loaf of bread or something like That's that. That's true. But they're driven by they're driven by a seventy five year old. Right. And they're just well, popping around the corner. I don't know, not 75-year-old, but... <laughs> okay. Well, they but look great for we 75 because everyone is, lives so long now. So there was a time when I was when I moved into Linden Hills. I mean, that was that community was really old. There was an old hardware store and a really old grocery store there. That they was couldn't the, give those houses away for a while. Yeah, but that grocery store, when I went into that, and this isn't that long ago. This is, you know, 15 years. Well, it's 15 years ago when you were over at my <laughs> house in London Hills, actually. Um, you know, I'd go to that grocery store, and it was like when you're in it brought me back to my childhood because yeah. that was so old, like the freezers in there. Remember it was all open yeah. and, and you know, I was like, wow, I didn't, I hadn't seen one of those grocery stores in a long time, but now it's not there. Yeah. Now it's even, even up North is getting modernized. Yeah. You know? It, uh, yeah. You see it just, you know, and, Again, not to pick on Range Rover man or woman, you know, <laughs> the, the super one foods in, in, in any given day in the summer in Grand Rapids is, 
yeah. loaded with cars that you know weren't ever there before and we're the beneficiaries of it because now we can get you know nice cheese and, good, right. and good salami you know? right. so um it just uh yeah it's it's changing it is yep the world changes around you imagine that yeah what do you what do you do for fun up there in uh, in Grand Rapids? So how much time do you spend? By, by you know, I ask a question and don't let you answer. But yeah. um, <laughs> how much time do you spend here versus there? Um, well, my wife grew up here, so we have a, a place here. We spend a lot of time with some of our really good friends. Live here, our best friends, because they're going to listen to this podcast. You know, I got. I, like, oh, yeah. I like that. You, I, it's I, such I, a, I knew that so, was happening. So, uh, the, the childish. Party, you had to throw in the best friend. Best like, friend. Yeah. How many best friends do you really have? Um, just a uh, small handful. So, yeah, and we're just recently empty nesters. And so, you know, people talk about all this. Both our kids are in college and all this time you're going to have. And what are you going to do? Well, we don't have any. We don't have any. Like, again. You busy? Yeah, we're trying to talk. I'm talking about the value of free play for our children. Like, let's get some free adult play. Some discretionary time. And it's there. We just, you know. You choose to work. We through all it. make choices. You power yeah. through it. <laughs> yeah, but, I watch. I watch the kids. My kids, uh, you know, like sled until they're sweating and they're and they're <laughs> panting, you know, and they're or run around the you know the neighborhood or whatever until they're just like wiped out. And I think, God, when was the last time I played something so hard that I was just like, yeah, I remember the last out. time I saw you wiped out. Oh. Oh, that's another podcast, huh? <laughs> yeah. It was it was our clients and and uh we were haul we were jackhammering a basement floor. Oh yeah. And and the Hauling kids were the, there, yeah. you know. And Sam showed up to show everybody how it's done. Oh. <laughs> he did. Is, there, is this he on did. video or anything? No, no it's no... just it's old school. It's just in my memory. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. You mean I was carrying buckets of you cement were carrying out of the house. Buckets of concrete out of the floor yep. or out of the basement of this house yeah. that we had to we were, you know, putting more height in the basement. We were lowering the floor. Lowering yeah. the floor, yeah. So and and putting heat in it and whatnot. Wow. But, yeah, but, heated uh, floor. <laughs> you're right. And I remember uh I remember of, me and Marty said you should probably take a break. Don't die. Yeah. Don't die. I remember uh one of the strapping nineteen year olds looking at me like that's enough, sir. Because you, you wanted <laughs> right. to show them that you, I mean, like, I, I, I can still hang with you show. or no? You, or you no, just want to get, wanted to get, work get the job done? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, don't, I don't play games get her done. with that yeah. stuff usually. Yeah. I, you know what? I almost died on a canoe trip, too, uh, because I've, I've always, I took people up into the Boundary Waters two years ago. And uh, it was just for a weekend trip, and we had a pretty long portage. And I've always thrown a Wanigan yeah. and, and a boat on my back. Yeah. Uh, and I, st- I, I mean, that sounds pretty like, you know, like no one knows what a Wanigan is. It's a, it's a heavy wooden box that you carry. And these hardliners, they, they use this tump line around the forehead. You oh know? my God, I, mean, I can't do that. No, you don't. But, uh, yeah. So you're, you were, you want, you were, you were raised a single portage. You don't go back. You get everything right. in one trip. That's yeah. right. Oh, and, and I'm still portage. capable of doing this. it. Yep. Yep. Uh, but I, but I, you know, I don't get as much exercise. So yeah. I put the Wanigan on, and I and I've maybe got my day pack on the front, and I've got the boat on top, and I take off down the portage, and <laughs> and I on the way back. So I was the last one to start, but but one of the first ones to get to the end because I always I, I figure I don't like this. Yeah, I'm gonna get over it. It's, yeah, yeah, it's very uncomfortable yeah, yeah, to yeah. carry all that stuff. So yeah. I go as fast as I possibly can. And uh, I remember walking back, and someone was like. 
dude, are you going to die or what? You know, all red faced. So, and you give yourself permission to double portage now if you need to. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, the last yeah, trips I've been, I'm like, you know what? I can do this, but do I have to? I don't need to don't prove need anything. To, no. Yeah. Take your no. time. No. Yeah. Take your time. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in fact, uh, I still I still am dying to get out on more canoe trips. But you guys you guys do canoeing as well, right? Yeah. And, okay. um, you know, nothing near as uh, adventurous as Chippewa has done and does, you know, in the whole blood vein, woodland caribou area. Yeah. You know, we yeah. Do. So we what do. are some of the things that you do at the camp? Like, I mean, what are the big, big things? Well, um, the... Sailing is a popular activity, canoeing, kayaking, mm-hmm. stand-up paddleboard. We still do horseback riding, tennis, soccer. We have a climbing wall. Take the trips. We take a hiking trip to uh, Spear, I mean, Spear Hiking Trail as well as Isle Royale. So, um, so pretty the good horseback, variety. do you guys have, are they your horses? I we lease them yeah? from okay. outfit, a gal that's been with us for years in Pine River. And, um, so, yeah. Um Archery and riflery. Archery and riflery. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, everyone's still doing the same stuff. Yeah. I mean, that alone sounds pretty awesome. Like, oh my god! When like you're I'm a sitting here thinking, kid? like, holy shit! Yeah. Like you get to do all that in like what six weeks, ten weeks? Yeah, two. We do two week sessions now too, and Chippewa does that now. Yeah. yeah. Most of the camps are two weeks, four mm-hmm. weeks, or a kid can go for eight. Some yeah. some will do a six week thing too, but yeah. most of them are. And it, when I started in 1990, around a, uh, a third of our kids were eight weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, now we're, we have three. Right. You know, well, partly because who finds, who has, nobody has eight weeks in the summer anymore. They should find it. Yeah. If they can. If, uh, <laughs> you know, one of the interesting things, and it's, I think it's industry-wide, is um, of all the choices and competitors for child, child's time in the summer, grandparents grandparents you know oh, it's, sure. it's the greatest generation they've you know probably you know if they get to the point where they're comfortable hey we want to see the grandkids and everybody's so busy going from this match to that match and like we're going to take the kids on a vacation and you have to say yes yeah so they take the kids and the whole family and the grandkids on a vacation and so um and that's great. You know, I'm not, it's just, no, it's new. It's, yeah. it's just new. Yeah. And because, um, you know, as we're more mobile, people don't live where their parents live anymore. And the parents don't see the grandkids as often as they used to. And the only time they can do that is to stop and say like, hey, we're going to go to take this family venture. We, uh, I was listening to, to public radio and, you know, we've got all this memory preservation and we're a sentimental group around here. Yeah. Uh, and they were talking to a group of old people, and it's uh, older people, and it's uh, uh, something shed. It's men shed, I believe it's called. But anyway, mm-hmm. like in a community, the guys would come together and uh, form a group that goes out and just kind of does public services, like you know, paints so and so's fence because they just don't have the time or the money to do it or fixes something and they're doing this for free. So it's all retiree, you know, old, older retired men. And it's kind of like they described it as boy scouts for retired old guys. And I, just for a brief moment, I that thought, sounds pretty appealing. Doesn't yeah, it, it does. <laughs> and just for a brief moment, I thought, man, you know, we should be building camps for older people too. Well, yeah. I was going to ask like, do, do adults go to the camps? We um, like, we run a family camp where people, and mostly just former campers that come back. And we, you know, we, um, and I don't, 
I read a lot about these digital detox camps for adults, you know, and we oh, ran a yeah. couple of sure. a couple of those with the coordinating with the local yoga studio in town and um and we they're great programs, but we'd never really got the enrollment or success that we hoped for. And I think it's probably because usually that third week in August, it's just a busy time for everybody, you totally. know. And we're we're not winterized where we could do it like, you know, in mm-hmm. in February, which you know you can tie into some cross country skiing or something. Right. So it, there's definitely because um, that's a lot of first thing parents ask is like, well, when can I sign up? You know. Yeah, but I think the the problem with uh, I you know. F- the problem with doing that in sort of the, I call it the fat part of your life or whatever, where you're not, not you're physically fat, call but you're trying what? to make the money. Fat part well, of your it's life? like, I think of, I think of it as like a diamond. There's this middle portion of your life where you have to make as I've much money. I've never heard this analogy before. Well, you're doing. All right. So you start, but, but you're talking like, as if you, I've, I like you say it a lot. No, no, no. This is just me. <laughs> going okay. through. Yeah. I don't expect you to know. Okay. No, but you start out, <laughs> you start out small and you grow, and then, and then there should be a point in your life where you start to get smaller again. You downsize. You don't need as much income. You don't need as much space, mm-hmm. and that's sort of you. And and then you eventually fade away to nothing again. So yeah. it, it, you're, you know, it kind of looks like a diamond, right? That's right. interesting. And I used to say to my parents when I get in an argument with them, I was like, "Well, when I get big and you get little, right? You right? Know, <laughs> it's, yeah. You know, like, uh, but but at the at the two ends of it, right, are when you get you're kind of at your most free and your most fun. You're a kid. You yep. get to do all these things. And then, I don't know, but a lot of older people kind of cherish those last, seems like anyway, they love those last years as long as they're still mobile yeah. and, mm-hmm. you know, in, in decent health anyway. Um, there's, there's again, you've got, you've kind of come back to, you've got freedom. I to, say there's a freedom that comes with yeah, that. Where you're right. At, yeah. And that middle part, if you're asking someone, those are the years that you have to make money and you have children to raise and you have all these obligations and you're asking someone to take two weeks out of their life and, and go to a place. I can understand. I, it's hard to get adults to commit to like a two-week-long canoe trip or something like that. Yeah. But what about, you know, 70-year-olds? Yeah, well, that's interesting. We, like, just, we just, just rolled out a new market. There. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? That would be Look fun. what happens. Another another idea today. I know. <laughs> well, can, can you imagine, though, at 70 years old, having, you know, like, hey, we're going to let you go to the place where you get to do riflery and archery and sailing and, you know, all of yeah. the things that are so fun anyway, and you don't get to play like that very no. much? I like it. Be, yeah, I like it, too. It's, it I sounds like it. interesting. Don't and steal it, it, but you listener. need a little bit of a spa area. Yeah, you say you well, like, I mean, of yeah. course, well, the amenities good have cheese to be and salami. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. And bananas and bacon, because everyone yeah. likes banana and bacon. And the prunes. <laughs> you know, Delicious. that sounds, at all, well, besides the prunes, I'm in. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> so I... <laughs> Oh boy! What How do we? What do we do? Are at camp at one time, like what? what Our does maximum that... is eighty boys and eighty okay. girls. So, and that's um, you know, there are some camps and a lot of camps that have more staff than one hundred and sixty. You know, so uh-huh. at yeah. that at that level, we can know every kid by name, and they know every staff member. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a tipping point there, just do like you, where you the boys and girls share a dining hall. Share they? a dining hall, yeah. yeah. And by and large, the activities run separate. Um, do come together for some, you know 
three times a week for co-ed activities and they're, big group games. They cohabit, or they don't cohabit. They they inhabit spaces fairly close, like within walking distance. They do, yeah. 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 That's got to be yeah, different. It, it is different, and, you know, it, it's interesting because you were talk, we were talking maybe before the show started about the mm-hmm. culture and this yeah. cult thing, and um, we've given some thought to it lately about how that, because you can walk onto a camp or you can walk into a business and you get this immediate feel of like, okay, this is a vibe that I can... And so, you know, how does that get created every summer? Because it's yeah. a reboot every year. You got new cast of characters, new kids, new staff. Some yeah. of it's institutional memory. Yeah. But, you know, it's my feeling that the biggest protectors and preservers of that culture are the kids themselves. Right. Hey, don't mess, don't, don't pee in my cornflakes. This is my mm-hmm. space. Right. And so we don't do that here. And we, and, you know, we don't do that here. The kids protect it. Like, you know, so this idea of how bullying stopped, like you said, yeah. it stops with somebody like, like, hey, that's not cool. You don't do that. We don't do that here. No. And so, um, and it, it's just a cultural, and we could do all that we can to put things in place and train our staff. But if you don't have those protectors, those kids that are invested in this, like, so example, like when somebody sneaks a phone into camp. Yeah. It's it really upsets the kids because they've given theirs in and like all of a sudden right they're following you know the rules. Johnny or Susie have broken the rules and invariably it gets out it gets it boils up right and like and so because it's made them feel unsafe. Is it always Johnny and Susie? Whenever you whenever you are saying no no I just was like trying to think of something that was well I'm just curious because we it's always, always say Johnny it's do, do, or I, do I, I do. say do it's Stevie it's oh, always well oh, now geez, thank you yes. no, you couldn't say Stevie today <laughs> <laughs> no uh, but but whenever whenever I've got like you know I, I need a name for the fictitious person oh, it's yeah. always Stevie oh yeah uh, I don't Funny. know what it is with a woman but Sally. I just wonder if Stevie and Sally because you got to find yourself telling. You know, having certain stories on repeat all the time for different parents and yeah. stuff. And when you're telling that, I just wonder if it's always Johnny yeah. and Sally. Well, I'll start paying better attention to that. Because <laughs> yeah. so. you can just picture the naughty little brats doing yeah. their thing. Wasn't there a children's book? Like, how, how does, there, isn't there something like Johnny and Sally or something like Jack that? Jack and Jill? Well, Jack and Jill, yeah. But isn't there Johnny this hill? and Sally too? Oh, I don't know. I don't know either. It's when Harry met Sally. <laughs> we'll Google that after this is done. Huh? <laughs> but uh, you know, and and there's always good stories about. Um, every once in a while, a parent will send along a second cell phone. Right, the parents are the ones. Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah, well, like, so like this like, is this is a dummy. The kid will turn in a dummy, and then like you keep this one, you know, and communicate oh. with mommy. Communicate with, and so helicopter parents. Yeah, and the, you know, th- this is you know, I'm holding up my phone, the world's lar- longest umbilical cord. Yeah, yes. right. Yeah, and so I get it. I, I'm sympathetic to the to the parent, you know, and, mm-hmm. and and most of the time I'll say to parents, you know, if you really, we will facilitate phone conversations, but it it it, you know. You gotta. They gotta turn in their phone. They you're gotta have that missing, time to process. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. kind of missing the whole point of this, which yeah. is, you really do want that kid, and it's hard. To, it's very hard to watch one of your favorite little campers go through a week into it, hardcore homesickness, with and it happens. Phone withdrawal. It's it's not so much the phone withdrawal. It's it's like physically debilitating to them to miss their mom, yeah. right, or their dad, or yeah. whoever you know, or grandma and grandpa, or whatever it is. And it, and you watch them, and it's it's like you know this because you go through like a two or three day cycle with them. It always starts a few days in, 
the mm-hmm. the newness and the fun is kind of worn off and then they're crying and it's they're inconsolable and then a couple of days later it's gone and they're having a great time yeah and but you got to get them through that and if if they're connected by a phone it never goes away yeah it it must be challenging it you know and that that yeah it is and 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 it um is funny you know not to be like oh woe is me but the other day I was talking to another camp director and I said you know nobody had told me it was going to get easier but nobody told me it was going to get harder right and and, and that's maybe just name my sin but you know the, the things baby. that we face and yeah <laughs> <laughs> the things that you know the environmental threats the weather climate you oh, know yeah. um storms that we face you know some of the other things and just uh, so yeah there it's it's constantly evolving in the changes and and um I Have wonder, you ever thought about quitting? Like, was there a time that uh, a challenging moment where you kind of thought, like, I can't do this anymore? Um, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, uh, when you finish the summer, you're just exhausted. Oh, God, you know? yeah. yeah. And I, it's like dental pain. Like, you know, if somebody, if, when you're in the dental chair, you know, I, I probably use that analogy because the first time I went to a dentist, the guy didn't use Novocaine, you know. But I went back, you know, so right. uh, I'm happy to have teeth, you know. So at the end of the summer, if you ask a camp director at the end of yep. the summer, like, hey, aren't you excited for next summer? You know, yeah, 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 maybe. You know, it's it, it just takes some time. Again, we for us, to, because it's, you know, it's 24-7 for 63 yeah. days when people are there. And then the other, um, you know, 60-day run up to that. So, Yeah, it is a – it's – it's like uh, recharging in some way because it's building when you got the kids there and they're you see a group of kids and they're laughing and everyone's like man that is there's nothing better than that no. yeah that's the good times but it's so draining too because I know you know you you really are on twenty four seven for at least that ten week period yeah I uh, and I learned and again talking about my first years I the story I tell is like I was. You know, there's no there's camp director books out how to be a camp director. They're out there, but you got to kind of develop your own style. You know, and so like the first couple of years, I was Mr. Office Man, or you know, trying to take care of what I thought was important. And I got to the end of the summer, and I said to my wife, I said I felt like we just threw the world's biggest birthday party, and I went to get a piece of cake, and it was all gone. <laughs> right, you didn't and get so, to have you know, any fun. I, I got to get some cake in the summer because right. like what I really like is the you know who doesn't like to go sailing with kids and pass on some of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, find, you know, feed your own pet, you know, shut, I can't, can't shut down my own child, you know, right. Like, uh, all camp directors have a big child in them. Right? I wonder, so. I wonder what the future is for camps because they're, most of them have been around between, you know, 70 and a hundred years or so. And they were family owned and now they've been institutionalized into like several generations and, I know like myself and and this was just sort of the lament of of some of the assistant director types like who came in loved the place dedicated a lot of time to it but we're never going to own it we're never going to run it like you know there's too many there's too many obstacles in the way and there's you're talking within the within a family Correct. Well, because like, is it handed down through generations? I, I'm the anomaly. I mean, you know, the business camps like this are not usually just so bought and sold on the open right. market. You know, no, very few. Down, you know, and I just was in the. If it was something that I'd set out to do, it never would have happened. And know? even the ones that are bought and sold, they're not a. It's not like they thrive on having 
the same leader for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So if you if you get into that system, and there's no uh, there's no term limits, like who works under you and for how long before you pass the reins to someone else? And yeah. and is that is that someone? Is it your kid or is it a different person? And, you know, this is just a thing. I'm yeah. not asking you to no, answer No, no. And I say, but we, believe me, that's, you know, in the, if we had a pie chart of where our attention is focused right now, I mean, that's, that's you know, succession and longevity and, and transition, you know, are right there. And you're right. There are a lot of barriers to it and working on ways to kind of lower those. Not unlike Chippewa's model. Yeah. You know, which is where, you know, we need to, to if we're going to preserve the land, it's going to have to be more accessible to run a business like this on it yeah and uh i mean that's it's just interesting to me because i you know i i was very enamored with all of it and i you know jim knows this oh, I, yeah. I talk about it all the time I'm, I'm getting myself back to camping i started a nonprofit, you know yeah uh called earth ed and uh the intent when i started it i told my friend who helped me start it i said you know by the time i'm 55 so i'm 44 right now by the time I'm 55, I want to find a piece of land and build a camp or or take over a camp if there's one that, you know, needs to, that. And so I've got, what, 11 years now to figure this out? Yeah. But Where are you in the diamond? Is that, the, are you still in the, well, you're, maybe that, pretty, you, you got to, you've got an oval-shaped diamond and all of a sudden, <laughs> right. emerald cut. Right. It's, emerald. It, it, Here, stand up once, Sam. Let's look at this. Uh, it, mine, the, uh, the bottom part is very, very, very thin for a very long time, and then there's hopefully going to be this little fat part, and then it'll go thin again. It's yeah. more like a Christmas ornament, like one of those Christmas yeah. ornaments that come up. And yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that. Jim just made a gesture. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, but I, I mean, you're in work mode right now. I think, yeah, I am in work mode and, and, and our digital, the digital side of our business is where our money is going to be made. And, and hopefully, hopefully we've struck on something here that allows me the good fortune, the opportunity to, I, it's, I have a ton of respect for all of the existing camps. I think there should be more. Yeah. I think there can be more. And I don't know, I don't know if we can find the kids. I don't know if I, it's a fool's errand to think that there should be more, but I just, I don't see, I don't see the need for connection to wilderness diminishing. No, and it's only increasing, you know, and, and it's funny that uh, this conference I was at in, in Austin two weeks ago was, you know, just that the incredible need these kids have. And, and, you know, we all have heard or read the, about nature deficit disorder and things like that and but it's real and it's profound and 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 that these kids don't have the opportunity to do anything like camp it's like again when they get there like wait a minute it's it's the like one of my predecessors said like camp was the place that i'd missed all my life but i didn't know it right Mm -hmm. you know so it got there and it's like wow yeah and I, i think you know like any business it's sort of, it's, you know, would Mishawaka do well to sustain itself by expanding? So, you know, things in business, they either grow or they don't, yeah. kind of, you know. Yeah. And camps are a completely different model. They, they, There needs to be growth, I don't think, should come in the form of consolidation of camps under one umbrella or enlarging this camp over that camp i think it should come in expanding opportunities for more to be built that's yeah i think that's interesting yeah it, because there is the capacity 
for it, and and definitely the need. I always you know go think back like, did camp re, did the camping movement have found it in response to a need of society, or did it anticipate it? You know, so like the, the smart camps, the smart camp directors are trying to be out in front of the next thing. Yep. And oftentimes that's not really what's best for the kid. Like I sat in a room full of camp directors a few years ago, and it's just a different way of thinking. So like on the East Coast where they had the density, they set up this model where a parent would pick up his or her child on Friday and then bring them back on Monday. Hmm. So it'd be like a four-week session, three weekends with the parents, and they come back. Mm. And so like you, you, you know, wow. your, your traditional four week camp or eight week camp, the spell is broken. Yeah. You know, they're home, they're back on their phone, they're back in that life. And so in, in a weird way, it seems like cruel and unusual to yo-yo them in and out of you know, right. a foot in one camp and a like, big toe in the other, you know? Yeah. That's like spending, um, you know, three days with dad and four days with mom and what, like, you know, whatever. I mean, so give the kid a, a, a place and you send them to camp, they should be there present in that position and sort out what that is for if even if it's four weeks that's fine or two weeks whatever it is yeah yeah so i'm not a, i'm not a visionary like that in terms of you know meeting that because it's funny they went around and everybody was it was a round table of independent camp directors from all over the country and it came to my turn and they'd come up with these ideas like that sharing and they said steve what are you thinking about doing <laughs> And I, I can be pretty outspoken. I said, you know what? I'm not going to do a goddamn thing. <laughs> uh, I'm going to wait for the pendulum to swing and be better positioned than you guys for it to come back home, you know? And, yeah. and because I was just kind of like they all, and they're not without ego, many of them. I'm not, you know, aren't, That's none of us the are, thing. but they all, it's all about, you know, this, you know, this is the greatest idea. We're going to, you know, add whatever this program or that program or, and, you know, and not that we're just static. We add programs. We, sure. we respond. But like, I, I can't. I'm not smart enough to chase the next big thing in in my industry. I don't think it's. I don't think it's the right thing to do. Honestly, I think that you know, if you're trying to innovate constantly in camp, like, I think that the 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 real value in your camp is its past. Yeah. And and holding on not so tightly that you can't see that something needs to change but holding on kids to on it. underwear or, yeah uh, right kids hung up yeah obviously you know yeah gotta there keep, are things gotta keep saying that that doesn't happen <laughs> next there, year it's happening <laughs> jim's gonna go up there and bring no, it back I'm not he's gonna, gonna bring it back no, no you, <laughs> that would be very weird and uncomfortable i'm kidding <laughs> amongst other things oh goodness gracious <clears throat> yeah i think you know I guess what it is is understanding that uh, one's one's desire to innovate and change and stay up with the times needs to be tempered with the understanding of the importance of the nostalgia of it staying the yeah. same. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I'm getting the idea that the camp is sort of staying. You know, it's also That's, the legacy. It's the legacy. The, like you're kind of going to some place that has a legacy that has a past, and you're trying to, you know. There's still that. And you would feel that when you go back and kids come back and, you know, if you had a new building every once in a while, it's like they, they, their, their spatial relationship with that changes, but they can walk in. If you blindfolded somebody, they could walk into the lodge and be like, where are you? The lodge. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I walk around and I never carried a flashlight at night. Yeah. No, you just sent the sense of, and, and again, the sense of space and place is uniquely provided in these camps like that because they get... You know, a lot of our kids are urban dwellers, or even if they're not, yeah. just that sense of spatial relationship. We we probably made, my wife and I counted up the other day, I don't know, 
3,600 trips back and forth between oh, Minneapolis. Yeah. You know, how many? Yeah. And so invariably, and it was, you know, well, I'll plead guilty, you know, or we'd get to Aiken about 60 miles from Grand Rapids and gas up. And we'd done that every time. And the kids would look up and say, like, are we close? You know, they just didn't have any awareness of where they were in the journey. Right. Right. You know, and like, how many times have we done this? You know, and we're 60 minutes from home. Yeah, totally. 50 yeah. if I speed, you know. Right. But don't speed through Aiken. No. No, 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 no. Yeah. Well, um, we, we should probably, I think we, my father told me that he wasn't thrilled with how abruptly we we end our on this. so the first, the middle part he know, said it nicely though i'm sure right yeah, totally yeah. uh <laughs> but you know we we were talking chugging along and then we said time for a break see up and we're off so i'm i'm trying to be mindful of it is there anything you'd like to uh promote, sort of promote or plug or be yeah. if yeah. people yeah, yeah if people are looking to find things what what do you want them to find um you know, f- find that find that place for your kid. It doesn't have to be Mishawaka, you know. I agree. Preserve that, you know, because and I and I say to parents, there's a camp out there for everybody, and there's a childhood out there for everybody, and it's important that we preserve that for them. I think, you know. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate that. I th- think that's a really nice part of the camping world too. Is that most most of the camps recognize, like when we were recruiting kids, you meet a kid when I was recruiting kids, I'd meet a kid and I'd, and they'd tell me what they really wanted out of a summer. If you can get them to be honest about it and, you, and you'd say, well, you know what? You actually should be at Lincoln. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that's going to be a better fit for you or Nebagaman or whatever, you know, there's, yeah, it's okay to recognize that. And that's why I think there should be more camps because yeah. each of them is their own little Island of culture yeah. and of wonder and of awesomeness. And we should just have more of those out there. Yeah, so. not a bad, uh, not a bad vision. Good. Yeah. <laughs> well, well I get a kick out. This guy's guy's got a great setup here. It's fun. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you know. thanks. thanks. Yeah, yeah, we we nice. sure enjoy doing these shows. All right, so where can people find you though? In yeah, your... how do you spell Mishawaka? Uh, yeah. M I S H A W A K A. Just and like it just sounds. Campmishawaka dot com, and. Uh, we have a wicked Instagram account, I guess. My daughter manages that. And if I happen to post something on it, she's like, I get a text right away. She's like, who posted that? Yeah, don't do Dad. that. <laughs> like, oh, I, just, I just made... So talk about developing a language and a, and a way yeah. to speak. Like, obviously, I, I, got, a, I got some learning to do. <laughs> I stick to the Facebook, you know? Right, right. <laughs> the so, old, that's old, the old school. Person's. Yeah. And yeah. so to, just on that, she, she assured me that, Dad, kids still check Facebook. They just don't comment, so... Right, you know that's true. Not that that's any yeah. demographic secret, probably. But she said they're all on it. Nobody comments anymore. Yeah, there you go. So, there you go, Steve. Thanks all right, for thank you guys. In. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Bye. Bye bye. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We love comments and feedback, so go ahead and let us have it. If you'd like to learn more about Andalin and other legacy projects, visit the website at andalin.app or kineticlegacy.us. Take care.